If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. Decried by reformers as wicked Noah's arks and rotten leaky tubs, prison hulks were a looming presence off the shores of 18th and 19th century Britain and its empire. Historian Dr Anna Mackay is an expert on confinement and the British maritime world, and she's written an excellent feature about the hideous conditions on these floating prisons for BBC History magazine and History Extra. David Musgrove gave Anna a call to find out more and began by asking, what exactly was a prison hulk? Well, prison hulks were these uh, decommissioned naval ships that were used across the 18th and 19th centuries in Britain and its colonies. Uh, they held convicts awaiting transportation. So when you, um, uh, a hulk is a name for uh, an old ship that's no longer seaworthy. So uh, you, you remove the sails and the riggings and uh, prison hulks, they held around 300, 500 male convicts on board. And uh, basically tens of thousands of uh, convicts passed through this system uh, over an 80-year period in England. Could you just remind me of the of the dates again? What's the what's the rough period? Yes, yeah, so um, the the rough period of prison hulks they they began in seventeen seventy six and they ended in eighteen fifty seven in England, but they went on for longer in the colonies. Okay, and we'll we'll probably come back to this bit. But are there specific bits of legislation that sort of bookend those 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 periods to to explain um, why they came into being and, and exited? Yeah, well, um, yeah, there's this specific legislation came around in uh, 1776. The government passed a sort of temporary act that uh, authorised the use of prison hulks along the Thames um, estuary. But um, yeah, and they ended in 1857, but that was just because the, the hulk system sort of gradually closed down. Uh, transportation to Australia actually ended in 1868. So, you know, we have these two systems sort of running alongside each other. Okay, we'll come back to that towards the towards the end of the conversation. Yeah. I think. Um, so y- y- the first uh, date you mentioned, seventeen seventy six. That's uh, that's a, a year that has some resonance. Some um, people might be aware of of, of that as a, as a date and time. What's what's the context uh, of the of the crime and justice system in Britain at the time that they came into play? 
Well, I mean, if we look back, the Transportation Act was passed in 1718. That authorised uh, the British government to send any convict, so male, female, child, to uh, the Austra- uh, the American colonies. Uh, so uh, convicts got sent to Maryland and Virginia and uh, the West Indies. Uh, but 1775, the American Revolutionary War breaks out, and it means that the British government is no longer able to send convicts to the American colonies. So they scramble around trying to find a solution because the prisons are overcrowding by this point. And uh, and they come up with this temporary act in 1776, uh, which authorised a spell of imprisonment and hard labour on the Thames, uh, on prison hulks. So prison hulks are essentially these mobile labour depots. They're successful because they're cheap, and it's a way of confining male convicts uh, whilst they await transportation to the colonies. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, when we think of transportation, we tend to think, I think, maybe maybe it's just me, of, of transportation down under. But there is that period of, of, of going, going, going west. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the first fleet of uh, convicts uh, to the Australian colonies, that sailed in 1787. So they arrived in 1788 and that was 11 ships of convicts. So those convicts that went to Australia, they were actually picked off the hulks, uh, a lot of the male convicts, uh, because they were strong and uh, they were being picked like I said, to labour on the Thames, which means they were being selected for their strength and sometimes for their youth. So they would get sent off to the uh, Australian colonies in New South Wales, for example, um, to labour and build the colony up from the ground. Right. OK, let's talk about the, the prison hulks themselves a bit more and, and life on, the, on, on those prison hulks. Um, so you mentioned they're decommissioned ships. Um, can you tell us any more about that? What's, what, sort of, what sort of craft are we talking about? Where did they come from? What would, what would have been their, their prehistory before they became hulks? Well, a lot of them were um, old naval ships, so they'd served in, you know, warfare. So, like the Battle of Trafalgar, a lot of the old ships that had actually, you know, been damaged by cannon fire and things like that during, you know, the Napoleonic Wars or or the American Revolutionary War. Um, you know, these ships were being repurposed by the Admiralty. So, um, the Admiralty owned those naval ships. They sold them to um, the British government, who then transformed them into these floating prisons. So, you know, when you think of a, a naval ship, you know. It's got these low decks and and beams and um, you know hammocks everywhere. That's exactly what the prison hulks looked like inside to experience them. You know, you're walking around these basically large open spaces. So convict hulks were always criticised in the press because convicts would walk around freely within them and talk to each other and make friends and you know form gangs. And there was this idea that actually um, you know convict hulks were terrible because. Um, you know, there were all these vicious conversations happening between convicts and making people essentially a worse criminal, you know, coming out than when you went in. Mm. Well, that's quite a familiar refrain, isn't it? That's what you hear about uh, about people in prisons today saying it's a, a breeding ground for future future criminals, isn't it? So um, I guess I guess what, what goes around comes around, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I think a lot of the, you know, if you, I, I like to kind of think that if you look at the prison system in the 19th century, you can see the problems that we're experiencing today. There's a big sort of legacy that, that spreads over time where, you know, essentially you look at mismanagement or poor funding, you, you get the same problems then as you do now. Mm. So you mentioned that there would be somewhere between 300 and 500 prisoners on any given hulk. So quite sizable craft then, that, that, that these are big ships. 
Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, the the decks, there's maybe, you know, four decks on board one of these naval ships. Um, think about maybe the... Um, what used to happen on the decks was that they used to segregate prisoners according to classes. So if you were deemed very bad, you would have to go in the lower decks of the ship where there was less ventilation, less light and things like that. And if you were deemed very good, you'd be up the top where the ventilation was better and, you know, you could maybe have a porthole to look out your surroundings and things like that. So there's this weird sort of instead of the cell structure like you think of in prisons today, you had this deck structure where it was almost like a hierarchy on the ship of, you know, up and down was uh, good to very bad. Okay, well, let's investigate that a little bit more. So <laughs> when we're thinking about the good and bad sort of prisoners, can you tell us a bit about the sort of people who found themselves on the prison hulks and what sort of crimes they had been convicted of? Yeah, I mean, people actually came from all over the country. So um, prison hulks held men, but they also held young boys uh, up to, well, actually as low as the age of eight. So um, this is a, a big mix of people. So, you know, you see examples of men in their 70s, boys aged, you know, eight, um, you know, 16, things like that. But um, theft is the most common thing that gets you on board uh, the hulks. So it's... Um, you know, theft is the most common. So we have people who get incarcerated for stealing livestock or food, uh, but also, you know, assault and murder and some of the more sort of heavier crimes. But um, everyone lived together. And this was the problem on the Hawks. People really did think that, um, you know, you could you could go in for stealing a handkerchief, but you could come out a hardened criminal. So people could be uh, sentenced to transportation for seven years, 14 years or life. And um, that meant that uh, you could actually spend, you know, either a number of months on the Hulks until you got, um, you know, transported to Australia. So you'd be taken off the Hulks and put on board a, a convict ship uh, like those that sailed to Australia. And uh, or you could actually be on the Hulks for years. So sometimes people were there for five years. And on that time, you know, you're petitioning for your release. You know, you're sending letters through family members saying, you know, I've been a, I've been good. You know, I've behaved very well. Please can, you know, you consider my my early release and things like that. But um, yeah, people um, went in for a number of crimes and um, not everyone was transported. That's one of the, the key things, you know, uh, people may have experienced life on board the Hulks, but, um, you know, some men did release, uh, get released early and uh, they received pardons. So, um, you know, we see in the register books what the overseers thought of them. So, you know, someone was down as saying being a bad character or uh, disorderly, things like that would not get you an early release. But if you were good in the dockyards and, you know, if you if you helped on board and people saw you as a sort of, uh, basically as, as reforming yourself through good behaviour, you might be considered for that early release. Okay. Can you tell us a bit more about the, the conditions for prison then? You mentioned if you were, if you were one of the, the, the bad lot, you were down on the lower deck and that was particularly unpleasant. Was it a really grim experience for everybody involved i assume it was it kind of was i'd like to say no it wasn't there you know there were some redeeming features but i really don't think there were so uh there was overcrowding there was disease as a result uh there were poor rations because of mismanagement but we do need to see it in context of other prisons at the time so look at you know any prison in the late 18th or early 19th century they're not great either 
So, you know, the hulks aren't a good place to be, but neither is Newgate or, or somewhere like Millbank, you know. So, uh, but the problem is being ships, they were cut off from land and they're difficult to regulate, which means that it's more difficult to get on board to have a look and see, you know, if there's any problems. So, you know, these ships were being sort of segregated into cells. They tried to put cells up. The prisons actually ripped them down because they said they liked to be able to walk around freely and talk to each other. So already we have sort of like disorderly conduct coming from the convict. And, um, you know, there was a sort of sense that um, the, the prison reformer, Jeremy Bentham, went on board in the 1770s and he had a look around and he said, you know, it was strange because the men were so remarkably quiet when they were at work. So you weren't supposed to talk to each other in the dockyards because, again, it's, it's conversing, it's making friends, it's forming gangs and, you know, becoming, you know, a hardened criminal. That's what people feared. But um, in the evenings, convicts are just shut in on the hulks, you come back from the dockyard after your day at labour, you have your dinner, and then they just batten down the hatches and lock you in. And they said that the guards were actually afraid to go down at night because it was so sort of raucous. And, um, you know, in the evenings, they, they could get contraband drink and there was gambling. They used to make things like skeleton keys. You know, they were walking around talking. And so, you know, they're really sort of these weird prison situations. That does sound odd. It sounds like there must have been a lot of violence, a lot of a lot of physical assaults amongst these prisoners. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there there were lots of concerns, especially for the young boys, of basically sort of rape and and things like that. So you know, people complained to. So convicts used to send letters to the authorities saying, please, can you consider my early release? Because it's dangerous on board. And they would say, you know, that, um, you know, there was um, unnatural crimes happening and people would use that as a big way of trying to sort of bargain for early release by saying, you know, it's, it's not Christian on board because the things that they're doing to people at night. But yeah, people would get beaten up and, um, you know, really sort of badly hurt if you sort of came a cropper of some of the, the gangs on board. Mm. So so it sounds like it was very much sort of law of the jungle, um, you know, or law of the gangs. Uh, once once the once the shutters had been pulled down, there was no, there was nobody actively trying to police them. Yeah, exactly. So you know, they uh, in Parliament they began to sort of talk about the Hulks and say they're schools of vice, you know, because uh, there was just this idea that they were these lawless places. And, you know, um, locals complained, you know, in, in Woolwich along the Thames because they said it was so noisy at night and, and you know, it was dangerous because they were scared that convicts would get out and, uh, you know, rampage across the country. So, yeah, there were always these fears that the convicts would, you know, corrupt greater society. So at the same time as wanting them to be essentially, you know, on these floating islands, you know, away from society, there was always this fear that they would get out. Mm. So in terms of the daily life of, of, of the people um, confined on the Hulk, so as you said, uh, during the night, they were kind of locked in and left their own devices. And during the day, they were sent off to the docks by, by boat, I assume, to do a day's work. Um, can you give us a bit more colour about, about the, the daily life that they experienced? Yeah, so convicts, um, they worked for eight hours in the winter and nine hours in the summer months during the day. And uh, they got up at six in the morning, you know, the bell rang, you had to roll up your hammock and uh, you, you swabbed the decks, uh, you, you know, so you, you washed and you ate your breakfast on board the hulks. And um, and then they were, they were sort of mustered or, or sort of a roll call uh, in gangs and, and uh, they got rowed out to shore. So they would work in Royal Naval Dockyards across Britain 
and um, and later in the colonies too. So, you know, in the 1820s, uh, convicts were actually sent out to hulks in Bermuda and the 1840s in Gibraltar. So um, any Royal Naval Dockyard in Britain might have had a convict working on it. So um, what they did in the dockyards, they worked in gangs and, uh, you know, they, they did lots of sort of manual labour. So they, they wheeled barrows and, you know, hauled timber and, uh, you know, just basically repaired any buildings or... Um, you know, dredge the Thames and things like that. So it was quite sort of backbreaking labour, and the, and the rations that they were given didn't really match up to the amount of basically calories that they were expending during the day. So mm. there were always a bit of discontent around uh, around uh, rations. So then, you know, when you've finished your labour, uh, you go back in the evening for your dinner, which is, like I said, not not very much. And um, and then sometimes convicts by the eighteen twenties they started to introduce schooling. So uh, you do some lessons, you know, you'd, you'd, you know, learn reading and arithmetic and things like that and um, have some religious education. So there were chaplains on board who sort of did this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, and then you had to go to bed. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very nice life. It was very basically restrictive. You know, there was no uh, free time and everything was designed around you having basically no um, yeah, agency over your own life. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. So, you know, the hulks are becoming so rotten um, that actually, you know, parts of them are falling off. Locals, you know, around Woolwich, Chatham, you know, all along the Thames estuary, they're actually complaining because of their noisy, but they also say they're smelly. And they say in the 1850s, they say they're actually the cause of cholera. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So when they were on the docks, were they kind of segregated from the general public? Were they How, how were they guarded and controlled? Were they shackled at, the, at that point? They were, yeah. So they worked in chain gangs. So they had um, a sort of iron fetter, like a heavy, heavy iron um, fetter around their legs and um, around one ankle. And um, yeah, they they weren't allowed to talk to each other and they they should not have been able to talk to, say, normal dockyard labourers. So it's free labourers is what we'd call them. But um, they they did. (laughs) So they talked to, they they managed to... Think about if you're working manual labour, how difficult is it going to be to not ask your supervisor, excuse me, what do I need to do here? So they all, they, you know, communication was actually necessary when you're working in the dockyard, because if you didn't communicate, uh, people got hurt. So there's lots of examples of convicts who, you know, got, um, you know, crushed by, you know, falling timbers and, and things like that, or amputated limbs, because it's dangerous working in the dockyard. So they naturally have to communicate with each other and with mm. their overseers. And some of these people are just, you know, there's militia 
militia guarding them. So, you know, you have a sort of detachment of Marines locally who will, you know, be keeping an eye on you during the day. But you do have to work with manual labourers and things like that. There's also, strangely enough, people used to, in the sort of 18th and 19th century, tourists used to visit dockyards. They were interesting places because, you know, they're building ships there and, you know, exciting things are happening. It's a modernity. It's it's sort of uh, on display, you know, all these sort of transition from wood to steel and you know it's just an exciting place to be so people would go and look at the convicts and you know you see sort of etchings from the time with um you know (laughs) ladies sort of in the dockyards you know looking at the convicts who are wheeling barrows and things like that so people did you know have basically the public and workers had many opportunities to actually interact with convicts and this is something obviously that the um, overseers didn't want and the system didn't want, but um, convicts were actually able to sometimes, you know, bribe overseers to help them escape and um, even sell small, like, trinkets to these uh, visiting tourists. So um, you have records of, um, in parliamentary reports, saying indecent toys have been found. You know, the convicts are selling things that they've been making on board. So, um, yeah, like, uh, they used to make money, you know, and... Uh, and make uh, skeleton keys out of old bones, you know, that they'd found from their, you know, diet, or that they'd uh, stolen a bit of copper from the dockyards. So Mm -hmm. they're very interesting places to work. But um, yeah, when you think about the prison system at the time, you're not supposed to be in, you know, communication with general society. So, you know, they're really not seen as working at all. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. So, um, uh, uh, you you mentioned a bit about the sort of the reactions of the general public to 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 these poor souls. Um, do, can you tell us any more about that? Was there with with the, the tourists and and the and the other dock dock workers? Did they um, elicit sympathy, empathy, anger, disgust with these people? What was what was the general reaction to them? Do we know much about that? Yeah, we do. I mean, dockyard workers. You know, there were lots of strikes in say the eighteen forties petitioning for better, you know, pay and things like that. Uh, dockyard workers think that their work is being undermined by convicts because they're essentially free labourers. Mm. You know, you're a convict. You don't have any say in what the government makes you do. So, you know, that's why the honks are so successful for such a long time. It's because, the, um, you know, they're, they're free labourers, uh, that they're just towing from site to site. You know, even across the colonies, they're just moving these ships around. But yeah. when you look at, like, public opinion in the 19th century, the, the idea of the convict sort of changes over time. So we start, if you look at the like sort of late 18th century when the convict hulks are commissioned, newspaper reports are saying stuff like they're, you know, they're corrupting society, you know, watch out if they escape, you know, and there's all these sort of really salacious sort of, um, you know, newspaper reports when there's like a mutiny of the convicts in Woolwich, you know, and it's all like describing them in these really exciting ways, you know, like the convicts are rushing at the guards and, you know, they're, you know, attempting to escape and they, they knock people down and, and, and things like that. But then by the sort of mid 19th century, you see this shift where, the convict is no longer seen as someone to be feared. It's actually seen as something to be pitied. So that's really weird because you see this shift in perceptions of what the prison should be as well. So we start off by thinking prisons should be there to punish people. And it's always this idea that, um, you know, essentially, you know, we think about, you know, old forms of punishment. It's hangings and executions and things like that. But then across the 19th century, people begin to shift and reformers say, you realise that instead of, 
killing these people, we should be reforming them. You know, we should have this emphasis on rehabilitation. We should educate them so they can go back into society and be good members of society. So then you see, even with the prison hawks, this idea that the convict is no longer someone to be feared. It's actually someone to be pitied that we need to help. So there is this shift over time. Mm. And, I, and you mentioned Jeremy Bentham and his, and his visit um, earlier on in the conversation. So are there a lot of um, reformers and people advocating for improvement actively visiting these, the, the hulks and sort of seeing them from their own eyes? Yeah, I mean, people, basically from the minute the prison hulks started, you know, reformers were asking to go on board and, and looking around. So, you know, they would make recommendations to Parliament, which sometimes got listened to and sometimes didn't. So, yeah, Jeremy Bentham went and looked at the hulks at, at the beginning. Uh, he he actually wanted to take over the hulks himself. He said, you know, give them to me and I'll do them as an experiment. I'll show you how they can work. Uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> but uh, prison reformer John Howard, uh, he also visited them right at the beginning in 1776. Uh, and he saw, you know, he reported back. He said the rations are mouldy. They don't have any clothes. The the men are saying they're exhausted. They have no shirts, no socks, no shoes. Mm. So, um, you know, things like that. When when someone goes on board and reports back, sometimes things get changed. So, um, but again, early. Uh, 19th century, people thought that convicts were bad. They didn't really care whether they had shoes or not. But um, you know, these reforms are being advocated by Parliament. And uh, but the demand for this cheap labour is so high, and the hulks are so useful that essentially the system just gets allowed to continue. So it's a temporary act. It's only supposed to be going for two years. It goes on for eighty. It's mm. just because it was useful. Mm. Before we get on to the sort of the the, the closure of the system, I, I just wanted to, to dwell a little bit on the on the relationship between the prison hulks and the convicts there and the wider carceral system. And, and you've mentioned you know prisons on land in cities. How what was what was the relationship between the prison hulks and the and the and the, and the larger um, punishment system in Britain? It's a weird one. Like um, prison hulks. Sort of, they existed al alongside these other sort of new ideas of what a prison should be. So we have, you know, um, it, it, we begin with sort of small things like jails, turnkeys, and debtors' prisons and things like that. That's more sort of 18th century prisons. Uh, they're small scale. They're not built to hold large amounts of prisoners. And you get Newgate in London, and, and there's these sort of bigger prisons being, you know, built and uh, new ideas of what a prison should be coming around. But um, what is weird about the Hulks is, you know, historians typically see the the sort of the development of the prison system over time as this one where it changes from punishment to reform and rehabilitation. But alongside that, you have the Hulks and they're basically this archaic system where, you know, people are being held on board. These strange ships are being towed around, you know, and um, the way that they're built. And the way that they look is so at odds with that idea of, you know, what they got called the new model prison. You know, Pentonville opens in the 1840s in London. You know, it's this huge prison. They they have all these different ideas around, you know, how a prisoner should be treated within them. So there's segregated cells. You know, you're on your own all the time. Prison hawks don't fit in with that at all, but they're still, you know, they're still operating at that time. So there's all these conflicting ideas of what a prison should be and, you know, why are the hawks still being allowed to continue? So we see this gradual decline because essentially prison reformers and prison overseers finally get to say they don't work. Can we please decommission them? 
Mm. So, so by the 1850s, by the sound of things, they're, they're, the prison hulk system is is apparently pretty archaic in comparison to to what other what other people are talking about. So, how does the prison hulk system finally come to an end? What uh, what what brings it to a conclusion? Well, we see first of all, foremost, you know, we need to think about like the decline in transportation as a mode of punishment. So. Basically, there are objections from colonists in Australia. They say, can you please stop sending convicts to us? You know, they don't want to receive any more. So there's already some sort of outcry in Australia. So it's becoming more and more difficult to actually send the convicts that were on hulks overseas. But then, like I said, hulks are at at odds with these new ideas of what a prison should be. So, you know, convicts are still talking to each other at work. You know, the cell structure doesn't work either. Uh, But also the the ships themselves, you know, we mentioned that they were maybe naval ships from, say, the Napoleonic Wars. Imagine, you know, something that's been battered in warfare already, can't sail, just gets towed around from place to place. They're actually falling apart. So, you know, the hulks are becoming so rotten um, that actually, you know, parts of them are falling off. Locals, you know, around Woolwich, Chatham, you know, all along the Thames estuary. They're actually complaining because of their noisy, but they also say they're smelly. And they say in the 1850s, they say they're actually the cause of cholera. So, you know, we have this 19th century idea of, you know, cholera being caused by miasmas, which is sort of like a breathing in almost like infected air, uh, which sounds quite familiar. But, um, you know, those um, people felt that prison hawks were the, the sort of locus of the disease. It turned out actually that it was because their toilets were emptying into the water, which people were drinking, because it was the water that was causing the cholera. But, um, you know, the prison hawks are becoming expensive to maintain because they keep needing repairs. So the thing that they sort of define them, which was that they were cheap, they're no longer cheap. And, um, Also, think about what that labour of the convicts is doing. They're actually building prisons on land by that point. You know, they're coming on board, you know, they're coming off board and they're, um, you know, building new barracks. So they're sort of building their own prisons. So there's this gradual decline. And then in 1857, one of the last hulks uh, burns down and they just think, that's it, we're done. They don't commission anymore. Um. There's a, there's an interesting sort of little sideline on this. Uh, correct me if I'm if I've misunderstood it, but you you wrote an article about the Anatomy Act and and uh, the what happened to convicts' bodies. Um, yes. And and how that perhaps played into the decline of the of the system. Can you tell just tell us a little bit about that because it's a it's a fascinating subject and and, and very interesting as to how tells us how the convicts were viewed and and how little agency they had in life and indeed death. Yeah, so there's this one incident, sort of 1847. It's this real sort of like um, moment where this large public inquiry around medical abuses on board the Hulks, it really helps shift public opinion. So if we sort of go back in time, think about the Anatomy Act happening, 1832, it authorises um, anatomists to dissect the bodies of the poor. So basically people who died in prisons and workhouses and asylums, they become basically the property of the state and they can be dissected. Um, you know, So criminal bodies have always been sort of seen as interesting by virtue of their criminality. So you know, people who were dying on the Hulks, they were actually dying at a rate of one in four in the early days of the Hawks because the disease was so bad and the malnourishment. But um, fast forward to 1846, we have a convict who... um, he actually sends a letter to a member of parliament and he complains that there's been these sort of medical abuses on board the Hulks. So he says that the body of this one convict, Thomas Driver, um, he's been dissected less than 48 hours after he died. So that's illegal. 
So he says, you know, you have to come on board and investigate because the surgeons here don't respect us. He said that, you know, they're actually tipping like buckets of blood and entrails over the side of the ship after a dissection in front of the full view of all the convicts. You know, he says it's terribly disturbing. But it also, he says the medical officer called Peter Bossy, um, he says that he's corrupt and he's using the Hulks as teaching hospitals. So he has a surgery you know, on land in Woolwich nearby. And he's actually letting his students come on board and, you know, mess around. So um, what happens is they, the, the government commissions this public inquiry and um, a member of the, the prison inspectorate goes down to have a look. So he finds out that the, that the dissection of Thomas Driver was, in fact, legal, but he does see, actually, that there were all these bad things happening on board the Hawks. So he finds out that there's basically gross negligence by the medical staff, but also by the overseer himself. So um, he's actually called John Henry Capper. And he uh, was employed by the Home Office to look after the Hulks. Turns out he hasn't been there for years. And he sends his um, nephew, who's a grocer, down on quarterly visits to go and see you know, the Hulks and report back. So he's, you know, this is gross negligence here. So what happens is Bossy gets fired, Kappa gets fired, and the Hulks become under the control of the prison inspectorate at last. So they are the people who come in at the end of the Hulks' reign. They make changes and basically help shut the system down. So what we see with the inquiry is that the public opinion, you know, it's in the press, people are talking about the bodies of convicts all the time. And you see, you know, this sort of change where convicts are going from, you know, we used to see them as dirty and corrupting and dangerous, but then they're objects of sympathy. You know, people are saying, you know, now they're victims of the state, of this corrupt system, you know, we must pity the poor convict. So there's this real shift in, you know, perceptions that happens around the same time as this inquiry. It's really, really interesting. Um, Okay, so so you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, one of the reasons why the the prison hulk system uh, came to an end was the craft themselves were falling apart. So um, presumably, all the prison hulks that did exist are, are long since consigned to watery graves. Is there, if 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 our listeners wanted to get a, any sort of sense of of what life was like, is there anything that they can do anywhere they can visit that would give a give a bit of an idea about the unpleasantness of of being on board a prison hulk? Oh, there are so many sites that are connected to the convict hawks. So um, even though we, we can't go on board them at the moment, but uh, think of like the HMS Victory in Portsmouth. Yeah. Uh, in, and that's a great example of the kind of ship that would have been a convict hulk. You know, it, it got basically it, it escaped becoming a hulk itself because of the national importance, you know, its its role in in the Battle of Trafalgar. But yeah, the victory is is perfect to see those wooden decks and the hammocks and the low beams and walk around and see what it might have felt like to actually be on board uh, a naval ship. But um, any sort of, you know, city jail is very interesting. So Cork City Jail in Ireland is a great example of a sort of small scale jail that would have held people before they got sent to the Hulks or before they got transported. But um, there's this whole sort of hidden history of dockyard uh, and convict labour. You go to any dockyard across the world probably a convict was involved in building it at some point. So Bermuda, um, you know, a great place to go on your holidays. You go to Bermuda Dockyard, it was entirely built by convict and enslaved labour. It's a very interesting site. And, um, you know, obviously, if, you, if, you, if you're really interested in going even further afield, it, you know, the Port Arthur Penal Settlement in uh, Tasmania is just an incredible place. It's completely the end of the world. It's where you would have got transported to. So there's these 
really interesting site where you see, you know, what happened to convicts across the journey. So you start off in a dockyard, you end up in these penal colonies, you know, in these settlements. Uh, so yeah, there's there's lots of um, any dockyard. Just do some research, and you'll find out there's probably been built by you know convict labor, slave labor, indentured labor. There's this whole hidden history behind any sort of naval and maritime infrastructure. Mm. Okay. Um, last thing you've just sort of outlined there, how the the system was global. It wasn't just restricted to to England or Britain. It was obviously became part of the the imperial uh, mission in a way. I suppose. I, I wonder then to to conclude whether the prison hulk system um, has had any long term repercussions across the world or, or just specifically in Britain. Has 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 that um, the system, the experience, the reaction to it in any way helped shape um, the modern penal system? Yeah, I think I think we need to look at the sort of legacy of transportation as a whole. You know, like the 19th century is this period characterised by change. So we see the shift from punishment to reform and rehabilitation, which is far more like the system we have today. But, um, you know, there's still violence and death and self-harm and things like that happening in modern prisons. Uh, even, uh, you know, slave labour, you know, comes up a lot in, in, in newspaper reports. But um, basically, you know, any cut in funding can lead to low standards. So I would say the lesson you learn from the Hulks is uh, if you make decisions based on economy, you really neglect the people who are uh, within the system who need the help. So um, there's lessons to be learned, but I'm not really sure whether we're, um, we're practising what we preach at the moment. That was Dr Anna Mackay. You can read her article on prison Hulks on our website, historyextra.com. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. 